0: Hello and welcome to the 1926 podcast. Today I am joined by organist Scott Detra and the guest conductor John Barineau for the Sunday, October 17th Youngstown Symphony Orchestra concert taking place at Stamba Auditorium at 4 p.m. In 1926, two organizations were born that would shape the future of performing arts in Youngstown, Ohio. The Little Youngstown Symphony performed its first public concert, starting a legacy that would become the Youngstown Symphony Orchestra. Later that year, the doors to Stambaugh Auditorium opened for the people of Youngstown and surrounding areas. These are the stories, performances, and conversations of artists and supporters of these historic organizations. This is the 1926 Podcast. Welcome to the 1926 podcast. Introduce yourselves and let us know how you started out in music.
1: Happy to. I'm Scott Detra. I'm a concert organist and director of music at Church of the Incarnation in Dallas, Texas. I started music at a very young age, started piano lessons at age three and organ lessons with my father at age eight. Uh, My dad was an organist, a church organist, church musician, and uh, was my first teacher At the organ uh, and my only teacher until I went off to college. My interest in the organ started as early as I can remember uh, watching my father play and as long as I can remember wanting to do what I saw him doing. So it very much runs in the family and for me it's just about all I've ever wanted to do except for a brief stint in college as a jazz piano major. (laughs) but otherwise it's been all organ all the time. I happily combine now a career in church music uh, with a concert career playing solo organ recitals and programs like this with the Youngstown Symphony.
0: Thank you. Um, John, do you wanna introduce
2: yourself? My name is John Verano and I'm a conductor and I'm also a clarinetist. I grew up in the state of Wyoming. One year my dad went on sabbatical to uh, Stanford University in California and while there i was in fourth grade they put all of us on a recorder and then if we scored well on a test they put a band instrument in our hands and uh, my parents decided that clarinet would be the instrument that um, i would play because um, that was the instrument that was waiting in the attic for me when we got back home to wyoming (laughs) so that's how i got started on the clarinet i didn't choose the clarinet the clarinet chose me and then i was uh, I went to a small school with an incredibly miserable music education program, but two fantastic music educators. I don't know how we could have such a bad program with two great teachers, but those uh, two gentlemen really inspired me. So uh, I went off uh, to school to study clarinet. I got into conducting by sitting in orchestras and looking at the conductor and saying to myself, it can't be that hard. That's how I got started in conducting, just by doing it.
0: Did you ever uh, wish that your parents hadn't chose the clarinet for
2: you? Were you ever interested in a different instrument? There's no, I wish I would have done it differently in my in my background. I, I like all sorts of uh, instruments. Uh, the clarinet is compact. It's not too heavy to carry around. Certainly not the harp. Uh, I, I love the cello, but... Um, Those string instruments are complicated things to play. So I think think it was a good choice for me.
0: So you did mention that the music education program in your school was horrendous. Scott, did you have a good music education program in your youth?
1: Yes, I'd say I did. Not stellar. I mean, living down here in Texas uh, currently for the last nine years, I have to say that, you know, down here, they know how to do music education and the school's right. They're very committed to it, um, and I didn't have anything um, quite of that caliber that I see now down here in Texas. But it, it, it I, I think I had a better experience than John, based on what he just said. Certainly a good experience. I went to small schools, um, a small school of just four hundred in high school, for instance. My graduating class was about hundred people. But yes, I'd say that I had a between my father and 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 decent school music programs. Um, I had a very solid start at a young age for which I'm very thankful.
0: Do you feel that it's, that there's a big market difference between playing organ at a church and playing concert organ?
1: There is some repertoire that's appropriate for the church and for the concert hall that crosses over. There is also repertoire that uh, certainly the most obvious thing is because of its length you would never play in church any organ piece over 12 or 15 minutes uh, isn't going to be played as a uh, as a prelude or a postlude in church and there's a great body of repertoire concert organ repertoire that is appropriate therefore only really for for recitals in the concert hall i feel lucky that i get to explore the full range of the organ repertoire being someone who plays in church and in the concert hall really there's nothing in the repertoire that I can't find a place for if I if I want to play it that's something I feel very lucky about and I'm grateful for
0: what is your favorite thing to play just in general as as a musician
1: that's a tough question um, uh, I'll use the cliche answer and say whatever I'm playing at the moment if I had to pick one desert island composer for me um, and this is probably a very predictable answer as an organist, it would be Bach. People ask me that question all the time, uh, and it's a very difficult question to answer. I really do like to invest heavily in whatever the piece is I'm working on at the moment or performing at the moment. If I don't believe in a piece passionately, I won't play it. That means that whatever music I'm playing, I am passionate about. Maybe that's a cop-out and a cliche <laughs> answer, but, but for me, I, I have to say that there's, there's really some truth behind it.
0: No, I think that that's a great answer. I have never heard someone say that if they don't feel passionately about something, they won't play it. So I like that. John, is there something that you like playing on the clarinet, but you would hate to conduct or vice versa?
2: No. Okay.
0: (laughs) Good. What's your favorite thing to play and what's your favorite thing to conduct?
2: Oh, well, uh, I'm going to go along with Scott um, and say whatever I'm working on. Uh, I can narrow things down a little bit by by uh musical era. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm a big fan of Handel, actually. I love Bach, but Handel's concerto grossos just really ring my bell. And then in terms of the classical era, uh, I would say Mozart, of course, because he wrote the greatest concerto ever written, the Mozart clarinet concerto. In the Romantic era, uh, I'm a big fan of Brahms. And in the 20th century, um, I love uh, Stravinsky, but I'm also a big proponent of uh, new music as well, so I've always enjoyed conducting uh, some some of the stuff that's being written today. I, I think that's really, really important to keep the, li- the to keep the art form alive. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I tell my audiences that they're part of the great sifting process, and and they are determining what the great works that are going to be remembered are, and uh, they're part of this great laboratory. Uh, by listening to new works they're they're part of the laboratory determining what's what's good yeah. so it's an exciting process for me
0: what do you to like to listen to outside of classical music
2: I'm a big folk music fan uh international folk music fan i I love that I don't do a lot of uh, background listening music i feel that if somebody's taking the time to be a musician, they deserve my full attention. So I don't have the radio on playing um, background music very much. If I'm going to listen to music, I'm going to sit down and listen to it.
0: That's another awesome answer. I love that too. <laughs> Scott, what about you?
1: I have always agreed with it, what John just finished with. Just music for the sake of having it on in the background is not something that, uh, that I do a whole lot of. That said, I listen to just about everything. I like jazz. I like classic rock. Um, I'm a child of the '70s and the '80s. I like some pop from then. <laughs> Once you get to the '90s and beyond, I'm I'm a little lost. But occasionally, even a little country music for me. There, there's almost nothing that 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 I won't listen to here and there at, at, at some time or another.
0: I like to ask that question just because I feel like patrons are probably imagining all of our musicians and conductors just sitting and listening to Mozart all day every day. So I think it kind of makes you. Makes you more of a person. Let's talk about the repertoire for this October concert.
2: Well, uh, when uh, Scott and I got together to talk about this program, I was excited because we get to play some big blowout pieces, I think. Uh, We really get to feature the orchestra and also the power of the organ. I'm excited about that. And I just realized today that there's actually a Philadelphia connection, an unintended Philadelphia connection in the music, and that is that two of the pieces that are being played, or maybe more, but two of the pieces had their origins in Philadelphia. The piece that opens uh, the concert was actually the piece that was uh, written for and premiered for the unveiling of the organ in Wanamaker's department store in downtown Philadelphia. (laughs) You can still go to that department store, it's now a Macy's, and while you are shopping for perfume, (laughs) <laughs> you take a look here, to, to, to the side and there is the largest, I think it's the largest working pipe organ in the world. And they still give concerts there on a daily basis. It's a fabulous instrument. And the piece that we're playing is, uh, is, is really exciting. And then Toccata Festiva by Samuel Barber was written for the unveiling of a new organ for the Academy of Music in Philadelphia. It was about 40 years later but both of those pieces have a philadelphia connection other than that i mean that's not such a big deal but i i always like finding little connections like that both of them are fabulous pieces and um if if you like loud organ this is your this is your stuff What do you say, Scott?
1: I agree. And being a native son of the Philadelphia area, I'm glad for those two connections myself in this program. The organ at Stamball is a really important historical American organ by the great builder E.M. Skinner, Ernest Skinner, who in the uh, beginning of the 20th century was hands down the premier organ builder in this country. And the fact that this instrument in Youngstown has survived unchanged and now beautifully restored in such a beautiful building gives us the opportunity, the rare opportunity these days, uh, to hear an example of Skinner's work in a beautiful room. Most of these organs have been either thrown out in some cases or wildly changed over the last 100 years or so. And so Stamball, it's a really special situation. So I'm particularly excited to play some of this music there on this organ. Um, John has talked about some of the pieces that we're playing uh, together with the organ and the orchestra. I'll address the two organ solo pieces that I'm playing. The first is by the uh, American composer Seth Bingham, who, although that's not a name that's extremely familiar to people these days, he was an extremely important and well-known American church musician and composer in the uh, middle of the 20th century. I'm playing the and E minor by Bingham. And this is a piece like the other organ solo piece that I've chosen that gives uh, the opportunity to show off all the, the wide palette of interesting colors in this instrument. And that's really what Skinner's organs were known for back in the day. Remember that, you know, a hundred years ago, recording technology didn't exist. You didn't, uh, you, you didn't even go buy an LP yet. Uh, and certainly you didn't just stream things on, on Apple Music or Spotify or, or whatever. So if you heard music, you heard it live. And um, the opportunity to, to hear orchestral works played by an orchestra was only to hear them live and therefore not available to everyone. So the idea of a civic organ that's built in an orchestral uh, design, such as you have in Youngstown, was something that it made it possible for people to hear some of the great orchestral works played in organ transcriptions. And that's why these organs have so much orchestral color in them. Very different from the sort of organ that, for instance, Bach played. The Pascalian E minor is a piece that's sort of a theme in variations. And so with, with variations, it gives the opportunity to show off lots of different colors and sounds from the organ. The other organ solo piece that I'm playing by Joseph Joseph Jongen, uh, who's a Belgian composer, it's prière or prayer uh, in English, is another very colorful piece, very gentle, beautiful piece that, that allows me to show off a lot of the colors of this extraordinary instrument so I'm really looking forward not only to playing as as John said the uh, big and loud if you like big organ loud organ this is the program for you not just those big things with the orchestra but also exploring some of the the softer sides of this this wonderful instrument and the colorful sides as well
2: and then we're ending the program with two movements of the Saint-Saëns organ symphony for those people who are not regular concert goers this music was actually featured in that wonderful movie from the 1990s Babe about the pig and the theme from Babe is the last movement of uh, the Sansa organ symphony I mean it's a wonderful work and uh, we're doing the third movement which does not have organ in it, and then it ends with the big organ uh, inclusion of the organ at the end and then really important part of uh, my philosophy of programming and it's been this way in all of the years that I've been conducting is to make sure that we diversify our programs. And so almost every program that I've ever conducted has always had a piece on it that opens up the orchestral world to um, different composers. And so we're doing the Danzone number 2 by Marquez uh a mexican american composer and this is easily uh one of his most popular work for orchestra there have been band transcriptions for it it's a fabulous fabulous work 10-minute work shows off the orchestra in a wonderful light it's kind of it's this one little piece that really you know what isn't like all the rest of the program well there's no organ audiences will really enjoy it i'm i'm looking forward to the um, diversity on the program and being able to uh work with Scott. I think I think the variety of color that audiences will hear will really be wonderful on this program.
0: I think that we are all definitely very excited. I know that all of our um, symphony goers, they're all very much so looking forward to coming to Sam Auditorium to see the both of you. I definitely appreciate you taking the time to come on and talk to me and us, and we will see you on Sunday, October 17th. Tickets for the October 17th Youngstown Symphony Orchestra concert at Stamba Auditorium are available online at stambaauditorium.com and youngstownsymphony.com.